Welcome to the Breaking to Startups podcast, where we interview people who came from non-traditional backgrounds and broke into tech. On today's episode, we sit down with Sean Jost, who got a computer science degree from USC and worked as a team lead for OkCupid before deciding to start Hack Reactor. As a founder of Hack Reactor, which is one of the top coding bootcamps, Sean plays an instrumental role in designing how the program is structured and taught. During our interview, he covers the application process and how to get accepted into Hack Reactor, what advice he has for those looking for jobs, and where he sees the job market heading in the future. Also, after recording this interview, Sean launched the Hack Reactor Prep, which is free online and will help you prepare for your interviews with bootcamps. We'll include the link to it in the show notes. If you like this episode, you should definitely check out the episode with Aubrey Brown who was not only featured as the founder of Telegraph Academy and our first guest on the show, but he's also working relentlessly on getting more people from diverse backgrounds into tech. Enjoy. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arch and Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, we have a very special guest. Do not miss this episode because there's going to be a ton of useful information for you. We're sitting out here at the Hack Reactor Alumni Lounge. And Arthur, take it away. Yeah, today we have a phenomenal guest, Sean Drost, who is a founder of Hack Reactor. Uh, so, all of you guys who have questions about getting in or uh, like, the job search or just what Hack Reactor is about, definitely tune in and take notes. Sean, so you're currently a co-founder of Hack Reactor, but before that, you were an engineer at Cupid. And even prior to that, you learned how to program on a TI-89. Is that right? <laughs> TI-83. Yeah, that's right. I was born calculator. in math class one day and I just started like <laughs> pressing every button. One of the buttons on that calculator is program. And that's how I started coding is I used to get in trouble for it in math class. And I figure like anything that I would do enough to get in trouble for, and that's a job, like that's probably my life path. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. So tell us a little bit how you got started and uh, kind of what led you to a career in, I guess, software engineering and then what led you to Hack Reactor? Well, yeah, I grew up in Hawaii and was writing code just sort of like, I just was gravi- I just gravitated towards it. I, I was very fortunate to go to a high school that was like, they had classes and so that was very, very lucky for me because I got that support early on. I majored in that in college and I just worked as a dev for, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight years before starting Hack Reactor. And, uh, you know, I, I did a, a bunch of different types of work. And throughout that time, I was also starting projects on the side, very entrepreneurial. And for that reason, I gravitated towards the Bay Area and ended up here five years ago, a couple of years before starting Hack Reactor, where I worked at this little tiny Y Combinator startup. I was employee number one. And then after that, at OkCupid, and then I started Hack Reactor with my best friends from college. That's an amazing story. And um, so take us back a little bit. So you're, you have a day job as a software engineer, and you see a need, right? You see that there's a, a barrier that, hey, like there's a lot of awesome jobs in startups, but it's kind of tricky to break in without a CS degree. Is that right? Yeah. So, well, it was not a novel observation at that time or now for a hiring manager to be like, there are not enough engineers. <laughs> this, is, this is something that every hiring manager is like, if there's any listening to breaking into startups right now, like they're nodding their heads because that is just like so obvious and it's so painful, so, so painful. As a hiring manager, you're just trying to find devs and like 
It's not actually, there is no real credential, luckily. CS degrees carry weight in the field, but they're not a prerequisite and nobody's really caring too much about that. Luckily, software is one of the things you can kind of like test if somebody can do it. There's a lot of things you can't do. There are some things like sales and software, you can just test during an interview if somebody can do it. And that makes all the difference. Suddenly those fields get really easy to break into. And uh, that was an opportunity for us. And that's sort of like what enabled Hacker Actor to happen. So why did you guys build the program the way that you guys built it out? Or how is your program structured? So our approach to education is focused heavily on motivation, focused on project-based learning, focused on approximating real-world conditions, and built around a really holistic learning model. So what we're trying to do is like put people into the real work they're going to be doing and exercise those skills over and over. And a lot of that is really technical. And a lot of that is actually surprisingly non-technical. A surprising amount of what people learn in the program is non-technical. And like somebody wrote me an email like a week and a half ago telling me that Hack Reactor changed the way they interact with their kids. And like that was like really deep for me. And that was something that came about through a, a series of conscious decisions that we made that was so I mean the whole program, you know, like we have an alum here. So like the whole program, like you are working nonstop with other people and it's a lot of deep collaboration and work on that front. Anyway, the program is structured in there's two parts. There's the in the first half of the program, there's this series of projects where everybody's working on the same thing as preset curriculum and you're pair programming all the time. Second half, you're working on a bunch of larger scale projects and you're working in basically what are real software teams. You're working with several other devs and you are all working on the same code base but different features and you all have this this like industry center process involving code reviews and different tickets that are assigned to different people and there's this there's a project manager and and then everybody goes into the job search which we don't talk as much about but we actually offer a lot of support on that side of it too and it's sort of like something we put a lot of formal thought into and there's a lot of curriculum around it and organized support and there's like four people here that full-time work only on helping getting people jobs after they graduate and uh, so, you know, that's sort of like what the program looks like. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we, we're definitely going to cover job search and it's going to be a big part of the interview, but tell us kind of the first chord. How did you get started? What were you guys thinking about? What were you, what was your vision when you just started out? I imagine like Hack Reactor wasn't a big brand back then. So what was the pitch you gave to your students of why they should take the risk and commit three months of a life to learning how to code the early days of any company are just so much so much fun and so much pain <laughs> and just, and so much fun at the same time and our company is like that too you know like i told you that i started hack reactor with with my best friends from college and that's true we actually got together at the time just before i moved to san francisco i was living in hawaii tony my co-founder was living in korea where he was running a language immersion school <laughs> I see a lot of patterns. Later. That comes back later. Uh, and Marcus called us up and he was like, guys, I'm, I'm bringing the band back together. Move to San Francisco. Let's get, out, let's get an apartment together. And uh, we did. And that's where we met Doug, who this alumni lounge is named after. It's called the Douglas. And there are beautiful black and white photos of Doug everywhere. They're so perfect. And uh, so we were all roommates together. We were working on, you know, like we were working. We all, we all had day jobs we definitely wanted to work together and that was like a big part of the genesis and a big part of sort of like this we seeded the community with a lot of genuine feeling because we just all liked each other we started the company to hang out more as one of our many motives and so so we got together and and started working on hack reactor full-time and yeah every single prospective student like they all thought it was legit but their parents who were generally going to be funding it all thought it was a scam (laughs) every single student in the class and not one student had like got like that was depending on parent funding 
<laughs> their parents think like, oh, this this seems legit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we we got started and we drew most of our first class from hack from a Hacker News post and oh nice and a few like personal connects and so we went through the process with each one of those students of sitting down with them like in a coffee shop or something something similar and basically showing them like I'm a legit dev and a great teacher like I'm gonna source out like in this conversation I'm gonna source out where you are in your in your process and be really useful immediately. And I'm going to tell you exactly what the three months of the program are going to look like and how that's going to make your dreams come true. And I'm going to sit here in front of you and put my personal name on taking you to success. And we can do that because we had actually just taught Tony to code and just gotten him his first job as a dev. So it was like we knew what the steps looked like and we knew we could do that. And like nonetheless, it was pretty it was kind of a lot of responsibility. The first student that we accepted was in college at the time. (laughs) <laughs> and and I, we, I called him up for some reason. I decided to call him to accept him. <laughs> I called him up and I was like, great news to me, you're in. <laughs> and he was like, and we were like celebrated for a minute. He's like, so, so what should I drop out of college? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, it's just got real, real. And I was like, yeah, drop out of college. <laughs> wow. That's wow. an amazing story. And so that class graduated, you, you helped them out with that whole process, right? Yeah. So, you're referring to, I think, to the job search. Like, yeah, I yeah. helped them out through. We focused a lot on the job search early on because we knew that what every student in that class wanted was a job. And so what we wanted to do is make goddamn sure they get a job. And when we thought about that, just as like competent people, obviously that meant helping them with the job search, which and like keeping like we would we added I had an Excel spreadsheet where I'd be like, how many jobs did you apply for today? I would just like I was on them, you know. And that, and that just seemed, seemed like common sense to me. But that was something that I, I, I've never heard of a school doing before. Now, now it's actually common in the bootcamp industry. I think we sort of like kickstarted a lot of momentum around that. And like there's, I think most bootcamps have people on staff dedicated to that work now. And that, I think, is a beautiful thing. Do that. Colleges, please. <laughs> um, you said how many applications did you recommend people send a day? Well, you know, it just depends on the person. Some people are really successful at working networks and doing a targeted approach. I never give people license to do that unless they're demonstrating success at it because most people will take that as an excuse to slack off. And so if you're not doing that, I'm pushing you for like maybe 10 applications a day, something yeah. like that. And then yeah. you'll actually get out five to seven and I'll be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, awesome. And actually as an alum, like when I was going through a program, it was obviously super intense and you work in a lot of projects, you do a lot of pair programming, you have to explain your thoughts. And the program is, feels and is super intense, six days a week, nine to sometimes eight, 10, like you come home at midnight, crash and wake up at seven again. But what I didn't realize is that once I was applying for jobs, like how all the skills that I've accumulated over the last three months just kind of came together. And like pair programming was a great skill to have when I was uh, going through interviews because some jobs ask you to come and pair program with them. So being able to explain your ideas, map out, break down the problem, map, map out the solution is extremely valuable. And then having projects under your belt, position you for talking about your challenges. And I guess, did you guys intentionally come up with that curriculum? Oh, yeah. I mean, we did those interviews on the other side. We <laughs> sat on that other side. We know exactly what those interviews look like and we know what it takes to get there. And actually, those interviews are in some ways really representative of what the job is like. I'm sure mm-hmm. you, you have that experience now. Like, it's not just getting into the interviews that, that pair programming helps you with. The reason they do that during the interviews is because it's help, that matters during the job. That matters during the day. In a lot of ways, and we can talk about this later if you want, the engineering interview <laughs> sucks. But 
in some ways it's reflective and we definitely knew exactly what that interview looked like. We knew exactly what those interviews you were going to walk into look like and we built everything to set you up for success in that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I remember when I was uh, considering doing the boot camps, I went on Quora. And by the way, if you guys haven't been on Quora, it's an extremely useful resource. It's a question answer format and you get awesome like celebrities, you have thought leaders, like everyone answering questions and then the really good answers get upvoted. And I remember when I was looking to um, select a boot camp, Sean, your name came up like at the best, the most popular posts were like Sean Dross, uh, <laughs> like how do you break in, how do you learn how to code? How do you get into Hack Reactor? And there were a lot of reusable really resources. So kind of for, for listeners who are considering uh, boot camps and specifically Hack Reactor, what would you recommend they do to position themselves to get in and then do well after the boot camp? So we have actually a program now for like how to get into Hack Reactor. Mm-hmm. It's called Fulcrum. So you can just Google that, F-U-L-C-R-U-M. And mm-hmm. uh, if you are trying to do the same thing, but you don't have, but you're trying to do it on the cheap, mm-hmm. um, go through Code Academy and then rebuild a library. I'm going to tell you the name of the library. It's called Underscore. And what that looks like is go download Underscore and then delete all the code inside the functions and then try to make the test pass. And uh, that's a really hard exercise that will take you, you know, a month or two. But to get to that point, you can just do a whole bunch of Code Academy and that's going to probably get you through. If you need a bridge between Code Academy and rewriting underscore yourself, then you can practice either read some eloquent JavaScript, which is a free PDF, or else you can go do some brain teaser problems. There's a lot of different sites out there. I'm blanking right now. Coderbyte. Yeah, Coderbyte is the one I usually recommend. So it sounds like um, at this point, you guys have been around for a few years. So you guys, I think you guys have over 30 cohorts that have graduated. So can you just talk more about the type of student that goes through Hack Reactor? Do they have to be technical? Do they need a computer science degree? And then also from like which walks of life um, do they come from? If you can just share a few stories, that would be amazing for our listeners to hear. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all types of people go through Hack Reactor. I would say the median student is like mid mid to late 20s. And they they have about 75% of people have some kind of like bachelor's degree beforehand. Very few CS majors, maybe like 10% or fewer CS majors. And uh, they're typically moving from some field that they don't like a lot or else that is not lucrative. We see a lot of like accounting, a lot of kind of a lot of musicians and uh, Mm. kind of a lot of people that like used to teach abroad, which I think is a step a lot of people do as a sort of like, I graduated from college, I'm not real sure what to do. <laughs> like, So that's sort of like what the normal background looks like. But that's, there are like all types, you know, we, we have, we've had students from every age from like 17 to, to like late 50s, going through the program, doing all kinds of stuff. So, you know, like, the stories that I think are the most fun are the ones that are the biggest changes, you know, there's real like, they had this sort of like biggest transformations going on in their life. So I love the stories and they're, they're always like, typically they involve more pain. The, my favorite stories are the ones that involve more pain and more effort on our side and like the stories where people crash on our couch and stuff. like. So like, I don't know, like I'm thinking of, of, uh, of this one student who before the program was like uh, peeling vegetables for a living and had earlier in his life, you know, like in high school and stuff, just kind of like messed around with programming and gotten like you know, kind of good enough to like contribute some a little bit to like game development, like to kind of do a little bit of of like hacking on game development. But but he had never worked or anything on in that stuff, and he was like 
severely underemployed and uh and he went through hacker actor actually he went through hacker actor remote which is the same thing as hacker actor is just on the internet and you do everything via video conference and so he did this program while working three four hours a day so he could keep paying his bills Mm -hmm. it was nutty and post after he got through the program like had to like had to got a like just absurd raise it's just like a truly absurd raise and after we went through the program, he moved to the Bay Area and put his sister through the program, which I thought was just a really beautiful act on his part and a really beautiful way to use that, to use that step that he made to like, you know, you take a big step up and then you, you pull the person, you pull the person up behind you and like help a couple of people up. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love to see that happening, which is something I see a lot, a lot of alumni bringing other people up and putting their time and effort into that often on a pro bono basis. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. And I know like, We've talked a little bit about the job search process, but from what I understand, there's also this way where like if someone finishes the program, they can also become mentors or teachers there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we have this program It's called Hacker in Residence. That's like, it's kind of like a TA program, you know, like if you go to college, you'll have like grad students or TAs. And so it's kind of like that, you know, where there's the, they do stuff like they answer the help requests. If you're working on a project and you get stuck, you hit the help request button. The person who shows up is an alum that just graduated and has already done all the material and and knows it, or at least that's the first line of defense. I think that, and they also do a, a bunch of other stuff. Like they do all the interviews, for instance. And so that is a program that, you know, when, when you ask HIRs why they're doing it, it's basically like, I want to like, I want to like contribute to the next generation. You know, I want to like, cause and a lot of times they'll mention by name, some specific HIR that had, had an impact on them. And they're like, I want to give that back to someone else. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, so yeah, that, that's a, that's a program that a bunch of students do every, every cohort. I don't know, maybe 10 or 20% or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And speaking of impact, there are several things that Hack Reactor is doing in that regard. There's different programs and different people that you guys have partnered up with that are involved with the community. We'd love to uh, hear a little bit about that too. Yeah. So when you asked about like the typical student going through, one thing that I didn't mention but but was on my mind is that it's heavily skewed like the tech industry is towards like it's pretty male dominated and like the you know, eighty twenty or something like that, which is better than the tech industry, but worse than we want it to be. And the and it's predominantly like white and Asian people and at like underrepresents the Latino and black population in, in this country. And I think like that's something that we want tech to have the doors open to a broader range of people. And like, and we, so we're putting, and also here in San Francisco, there's a pretty clear divide between like longtime residents and like the tech industry. And it seems like there's kind of this invisible wall between them. So we try to put work into, into overcoming both of those barriers. And so we, we do a lot of, we partner with a lot of different organizations and we offer curriculum and volunteer support and training that are basically like, trying to connect people with pathways into tech, which I guess is pretty relevant to this podcast. So like, as an example, we're a couple of blocks away from where Code Tenderloin hosts their classes. So I don't know if you folks know about CodeTL, but if you don't, you should definitely get in touch with those folks. But yeah. Tell us a little bit more about what oh, they do. Code Tenderloin is the greatest organization. I love these people. They basically just work with people that live in the Tenderloin and their mission is all about what they call it, like, helping people to cross the market, cross market streets. So like if you're not a, a Bay Area, uh, That's savvy, awesome. <laughs> it's like south of market is where all the tech companies are. And Tenderland is just north of market, market street. 
And so Code Tenderline is basically like their doors are open, like any old Tenderline resident can walk in and they make it their mission to like help connect those people into work in the tech industry. And that can mean a lot of things. But what we do with them is we lent them the curriculum for the prep class that I told you folks about. And they put their first class just graduated like two weeks ago into that graduation party. And it was just such a good, such awesome. a good feeling in the room. You know, like there's all these people who are just like, some people, like one person stood up during that graduation ceremony and was like, I intentionally decided to become homeless to be able to participate in this program <laughs> like, because I, I had to step out of a, a job that was sort of like keeping me afloat. And, you know, I, I feel very liberated because like I gave up a lot of comfort for this short time frame and I got a lot of knowledge and I see now a path forward. And that that's predominantly through the work of Code Tenderline. But we, we put an effort where we can. So to them, we contributed our curriculum. And usually when we, when we do that kind of thing, we also line up alumni volunteers. So a lot of alumni do the HIR program, which is paid. And then a lot of alumni volunteer with no compensation. You mentioned earlier on when I met you, you mentioned an alumni named Yan Fan, and she's working with another partner of ours called Reboot Camp, which is coding boot camp for refugees in Jordan, Syrian refugees, and also Jordan National. It's sort of like a unification effort, as well as a learn to code program it's such a great organization and that's up and running right now and that's another organization we work with we run a campus we partner with a nonprofit organization to run a campus out in new orleans called operation spark and they graduated they're running a new class right now their first class was 100 percent of them got jobs wow uh, and they're like they're just such a great organization and again we we offer curriculum and volunteers and, and training and all that and Last time I spoke with you last week, I think it was, you were on the way from Last Mile. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, yeah. The Last Mile is a beautiful program that is up and running inside of San Quentin Prison. So we have a classroom that is that looks that feels a lot like Hack Reactor, except it's like all prison inmates. All the students are prison inmates, and they're just like killing it out there. It's so amazing. The community is so great. And they are opening a dev shop like this month. Wow. Yeah. Instead of making license plates, they're going to be making apps. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, and, and mass incarceration is a big problem in that. That can definitely help. Have you had anybody that was in that program that left that had a record and couldn't get a job, but because they had demonstrated that they can work on software, that they were able to get jobs as software engineers? Oh, absolutely. There's people out there. There's people who graduated from the last mile who came out and got jobs in tech and jobs as programmers. And it's like, it's real cool to see. And there are some like wicked sharp people in that classroom. I, I For the first class, I did the lectures, which meant getting up at like <laughs> 7 a.m. or like starting lecturing at 7 a.m. every other day for like four months. It was brutal. But and then I go in and visit sometimes. And like that class is like now they are this happening with Hacker Actor as well. The first class will like the first class is the hardest because they, they have to learn it on their own with just instructors. The second class gets the first class to help them. And the first class is so motivated because they just went through it and they know how hard it is and they know everything you need to know. And so they help you move up. And that's what that first class of graduates is doing. They're like, they're carrying like, and now there's this entire population. There's actually these study groups going on outside of the program for people that are trying to get in and they're just learning to code. So do you have to get into prison to be fired last month? (laughs) There was a student who literally asked for his release date to be pushed back. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) And then also we have out in the East Bay Telegraph Academy, Killing It, which is, uh, again, it's a group of alumni that went out and decided to start a coding boot camp, a focus on on bringing underrepresented communities and people of color into the industry. And that's like 
and they're they're just out there right now with a with a brand new class of students killing it like they always do. His demographics are very different. So I, I don't have the stats on me right now, but I know he has a a significant percentage of women and minorities in there as well. So yes, yeah, they're a majority black and Latino classroom, and it's like Seas Bay. Yeah, <laughs> love yeah. it. So it sounds like what you guys are doing with Hack Reactor Core, it's more than just uh, teaching people how to code. You're building a movement of giving people opportunities. It doesn't matter if you're homeless or in prison, as long as you can learn how to code and you guys are providing them with the instructions on how to do it, they can literally, like it changes their lives. They can fulfill their dreams. They can provide for their families. I guess for people who want to help out and get involved with you, what are some ways they can uh, get in touch with you or um, like get involved? But also break down like what hack, we talked about all these programs. What is Hack Reactor Core? Mm-hmm. Is hack, how's Hack Reactor structured? Yeah, all the programs in reverse order. So Hack Reactor is the school we started back in 2012, and about a year and a half ago, we started a parent company called Reactor Core, and we did this at about the same time as we started acquiring other boot camps. So we acquired Maker Square, we opened up Telegraph, and so like the basically Reactor Core is a parent company of a bunch of different mm-hmm. uh, coding boot camps, and also the home of a lot of the pro bono work that we do and sort of like just kind of a central hub for a lot of the the work that goes on in terms of curriculum and back of house stuff and engineering. And so for folks who are listening and want to contribute, we do a lot of volunteer coordination, predominantly through alumni. So that's not something that obviously you can plug into. What you can do is just email me personally, Sean at SHAWN at ReactorCore.com. And I'll hook you up. We are especially in need of folks who can contribute big chunks of time for as little as four weeks. And for folks, uh, software engineers are really useful right now, but project managers are uh, totally helpful as well. Got it. Got it. Something else that you know we didn't talk about in the pre-interviews or, or during this conversation that you know, I've been personally curious about it's a lot of people are talking about things like Silicon Valley Rising, where even though the numbers for demographics on a minority perspective at tech companies are smaller, the service workers happen to be significantly or predominantly Black and Hispanic. Do you have any vocational programs at Hack Reactors thinking about teaching people that are in the companies, they have their foot in their door, but they might be able to do night classes and drop one of their three jobs that they're doing to be able to become engineers? at that tech company that they've been washing the dishes for? So we structured the prep program so that it works for folks who have full-time work. And we are, you know, we think of Hack Reactor as being that in as much as we are, like, we are moderately successful at Hack Reactor being that already. We see that happening, like, even within the walls of our program. We have actually of several different staff members that came, did that exact thing here at Hack Reactor. So we, you know, like, we have a bunch of people working, for instance, in space operations where it's like, make sure that the like the room is laid out right and like fix the keyboards and whatever else is going on. And several of those people went through that program and then eventually went through, like worked here in that capacity and then went through the program eventually and now work as devs. And, and so like, that's where we're at on that. I feel really great about the prep program and the progress we've made on it so far. I don't feel like we're at 100% right now. What the key thing I wish that we had was financing. We run a bunch of the, we, all of the prep programs that, that we run with nonprofit partners are at no cost, but the ones that we run ourselves, we pay the people to run them. So, and then we, we don't have really great financing yet for that. So, that's something that I have in my 
line of sight as like something I, I want to improve better because I think that so we adopted basically a two phase model for bringing people into software jobs where phase one is you got to get the first 10 or 20 percent either on your own or through our prep program. And because you need to know what your interest level and aptitude is before you dedicate a lot of resources and a lot of your time and effort and our time and effort into bringing you into that field. And that is and then the, the second phase is then a really safe step where like 98 percent of alumni of job seekers in 2015 were got jobs. Right. And so the first phase is, I think, where a lot of work needs to be done. And there's a lot of beautiful opportunity there. And we're seeing some of that happen right now with the sort of like work we're doing, partner, uh, like lending that curriculum to partners. And that's where I want to see that wrap up. I mean, that's stuff that, for instance, Telegraph is doing a killer job of that. Telegraph has put like 400 people through that prep program. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I guess you guys are growing and there's probably over a thousand students now that, who graduate Hack Reactor. I guess I'm super curious to hear kind of your vision for like a 21st century CS degree. And you guys are obviously a huge player in the space and making a big impact. Like, where do you see it going um, like in 10 years and kind of what's going to happen to like the 21st century CS degree, considering there is four-year universities, there's boot camps, you could learn online for absolutely very little cost. Like, where do you see all of it going? So I see Hack Reactor as my vision of what the 21st century CS degree looks like. I think it's already there. I think it could be about a month longer, but the job market right now does not ask for that. The job market right now is saying, actually, we'll hire them there. I would like for it to be longer. As a hiring manager, I would like for it to be longer. But like, it's hard to justify raising the price of the tuition and raising the length of the program and the length of time that people have to stay unemployed And when the hiring managers are not requiring that of us. But I think we're already mostly there. Actually, though, a university is different from a CS degree. You know, like a university has to accommodate folks who do not want, know what they want to do when they arrive at the doors. And that's sort of like what I think is really interesting and what our vision at Reactor Core over the long term is. We don't see ourselves as a coding education company. We see ourselves as an education company. It's going to take, we're not going to start branching out for some time. But like at some point, we're going to want to have really great programs for a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of like really expansive growth industries, you know, stuff that is up and coming, stuff like biotech, stuff like sales, stuff like marketing, you know, stuff that is really important work and really rewarding work and work where you can grow and move up in the world. So my vision, like what we see happening over the next few years at our company is, is like, you know, develop a couple of different verticals. And at the point where we have like five or seven different areas of focus and really great prep programs for all of them and all of that running on one campus, you'll have something that makes sense for an 18 year old that doesn't know what to do with their life as much as it makes sense for somebody who's, you know, 25, 35 and wants to get out of accounting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's remarkable that you got started 2012 in the same amount of time that it would take to get a CS degree in four years. You've graduated thousands of people into, I don't know how many different companies that people are all vying for. Yeah. It's a remarkable thing to be a part of. And to, I, what I really appreciate about coming into work every day is an opportunity to be of service to people in a, in a way that is meaningful and important to me and important to them. And I love that. And I want to give a shout out to the entire community. There's like a lot of people that work really hard to make that happen. Staff, students, alumni, everything. Everybody is working together as a community effort. Yeah. Yeah. So I might put you on a spot, but I know a lot of people that have reached out to me, like my friends or people who want to do a boot camp. They're asking about the market condition in 2016, and they want to know, um, like, 
there's a lot of boot camps like App Academy, Hack Reactor, obviously, Dev Bootcamp, Telegraph Academy. All of them have produced, they've been producing graduates for the last couple of years. Do you feel like the demand for engineers is slowing down or is it still a market for everyone to go in and there's plenty of jobs out there? So the tech industry, like any industry, has ups and downs. And early 2016 saw a dip that is threatened to be major, but actually turned out to be minor so far. It could ramp up. And so the, there's a couple different parts of your question. One part is the macro economy. And so like the macro turned mm-hmm. a slight downturn in 2016 so far. We thought it was going to be bigger. It's been like up and up and up and up and up since 08 when Groupon died and there was an associated downturn. But it's been up and up. It can't go on like this. Like eight years of this kind of this eight year run just never happens, you know. So the macro is going to rise and fall. When it dips, it's going to be harder to get a job. That's going to happen for sure. If I were a prospective student, I would not be worrying about that. I would just go through it and just not worry about the macro. Separate topic, are there too many bootcamp grads? Answer, kind of. So here's the deal. There are about 400,000 open jobs right now for software engineers. And there are about, and that's projected to go up by about, so we're looking at by 2020, there are going to be about a million open jobs for software engineers. Mm -hmm. And this is net open jobs, not like total jobs that some of those jobs are going to get taken by college grads. College grads, there's about 50,000 college grads per year. And that's just not enough. That's not anywhere close to enough. And there are right now about 20,000 bootcamp grads per year. And that also is not enough. I think when you just look at all those numbers, you can see it's not enough. It does not matter. It's not enough. There is a problem. There is a slight problem, which is that there are a lot of bootcamp grads out there that can't contribute, that are just not at the level yet. So if you are sort of like in the bottom area of your graduating class, or if you went to a program that is shorter or started earlier on, it can be harder. And I don't actually have as much insight into that because Hack Reactor uh, doesn't start at zero. It starts, you know, like I said, it's a two phase mm-hmm. approach. It doesn't start at zero. It starts at 20 and it doesn't end at like barely employable. It ends at like solidly, you know, like our grads generally get jobs that are like require two to three years of prior experience. And so like I would say that the programs like Hack Reactor and App Academy, another great program, are like are less I've heard the same kind of like mumbling that you have Mm -hmm. about like grads are having trouble getting jobs. I don't really see that as much in the actual employment numbers, you Mm -hmm. know, but the that could be a problem more so for folks that are more at the margins, graduates of our programs that are more at the margins or especially I would worry more if I was going to a much shorter boot camp or Mm -hmm. like a boot camp that started at zero if I was also starting at zero. So what kind of things would you look at? When you're deciding to pick a bootcamp, because there's a variety of them and some are pretty easy to find out information on and look at the alumni numbers and kind of figure out that they're pretty good. There also tend to be more competitive to get in. And sometimes you have to apply a couple of times and it takes a little bit longer. So what kind of uh, traits, I guess, you would look at when you're determining what school to go to? So there's a lot there. So here's how I would pick a bootcamp. First of all, go to a bootcamp that has admissions bar. And I've described the two-phase approach a couple of times. Basically, if you go to a boot camp where everybody in there has already learned the first 5 or 10 or 20% of the material, then you know at least, you have at least some level of confidence that there's not going to be like, that there's going to be fewer people in the class that are holding the whole class back. And that is real. And it's a problem. It's really rough when a classroom is at different levels and it, and it makes the whole experience very rocky. Thing number two, talk to alums and get the skinny. Alums will sometimes speak openly about the quality of the program, but they're more open about it when they're not speaking publicly. And so like if I hear all the time, like people that sort of like, you know, graduates at different boot camps network and they sort of like know what the ranking is. 
and they'll tell me what the ranking is, but they won't post what the ranking is. <laughs> so it's interesting. So talk to alums, find a way to talk to alums, hit them up, do a LinkedIn search. They're pretty accessible. Look at placement rates, totally matters. Worry about them, try to find out how the placement rate is calculated. So we wrote down exactly how we calculate the placement rate, who counts in the no- de- numerator, who counts in the denominator and why, and like what all of those different breakdowns are. And I feel really good about our work on that front. And you can check it out at hackreactor.com slash student outcomes. There is a lot of work to be done on transparency on that front in the industry. And, you know, behavior varies widely. <laughs> so check into that, not just like what the placement rate is, but but what how it's calculated and, you know, whether or not that makes sense to you. And uh, I think that's it. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Like, do your research, speak to alumni, find them on LinkedIn, send them an email, tell them that you're considering uh, Let's say Hack Reactor or Dev Bootcamp or App Academy and say, hey, like, just want to ask you a few questions. So definitely do that. In terms of picking like a bootcamp based on the language that they teach, I know you guys do JavaScript. App Academy does Ruby and Rails and a little bit of JavaScript. What would you say, um, I guess, is the more competitive skill set you have in this market? And also, how does that factor in into, or how, should that even factor in into your decision to do a bootcamp that does Ruby or JavaScript? I would put that as a pretty minor factor. Mm-hmm. To the extent that it matters, if you're in a primary market, JavaScript is a better language. Mm-hmm. If you are in a secondary market, Rails or PHP is a better language. You should also, as a part of your breaking into tech process, move to a primary market unless you have family or other sort of like non-professional reasons not to move to a competitive market. And by primary market, you mean places like New York, San Francisco, right? Yeah. SF, LA, New York. Chicago. Austin, Chicago. Yeah. There's a short list. Uh, yeah, if, maybe Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Urban, Urban swing to me. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, hey, where, uh, where are you from, Urban? I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have stories about that. So um, the next part of our podcast is going to be the lightning round. So we're going to ask you a few questions. And please uh, try to provide short answers, but also include a lot of strategies or tactics that helped, I guess, you start Hack Reactor, you succeed in this industry, and also some questions that are going to be geared more towards um, people trying to learn how to code. So I want to jump in, but I feel like this this is about to close. And I just, I'm, I've been thinking that I, there are two stories that I want to tell your tell, listeners. Tell it away. They're just really practical. Yeah. Because I want more than anything for somebody to listen to this podcast and like actually be able to take stuff away mm-hmm. from it. And so side note, if that's you and you like take something away from this, at me on Twitter, Sean Drost, because that will totally make my day. But two tactics that I want to mention that are super useful for you folks out there listening. One is how I got my first job in San Francisco, which I said that I was an employee. I was employee number one, a little tiny Y Combinator startup. This is a great approach that I highly recommend. Right now, there are 80 companies or something like that in the 80 new startups in Y Combinator, none of whom have any kind of recognition, none of whom are getting any kind of attention. If you either apply or just like walk into their space and just start trying to be useful and just become this go-getter to them, you will be the first person of that kind that they will have seen. And that will be a 10%. There will be a 10% chance that that company is going to become the next Dropbox or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so I highly recommend that approach. Those companies are tiny and a great place to learn and network and more likely to employ you than whatever big startup you're thinking about right now as being the place you really want to break in. Don't do that. 
Instead, go be an early employee at a little tiny Y Combinator startup or whatever. I'm not a YC like zealot or anything. Do the same thing at 500 startups. They got like one big office. It's a lot easier to break into. Yeah. <laughs> and just to add to that, it applies to all kinds of roles, not just engineering. Yes. Because a lot of startups want to like do sales or they want to work on partnerships. So if you're passionate about startups, go to YC, find a way to add value, and then get your foot through the door. I mean, the worst they could say is no, and then you just move on to the next one. Yeah, there's 80 of them. <laughs> so, like, I really want to emphasize that. It's not all about engineering. I think a lot of breaking into startups is engineering-focused. But mm-hmm. you know how, like, we employ maybe 40% engineers at mm-hmm. Hack Reactor, and then there's a lot of tech companies like that. Absolutely, sales, customer apps, QA, their products, project management, there's a lot of stuff going on. And if you are a go-getter and you can just sort of like somehow get your foot in the door, that is, it's not about coding necessarily. So the second story that I wanted to tell, this is a tactic that I hope becomes so overused that it's ineffective. But I think right now it still works. It turns out that when somebody tells you, if you try to get a job from somebody and they tell you no, you can just tell them no. (laughs) You can just tell them like, I love it. I thought about your refusal and I've decided you've made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very convinced of this fact, and I want you to hire me on a temp-to-hire basis. It turns out this works. I cannot recommend this highly I like that. I like that. I've never tried that, but I like that, and I could see it working. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a great point, because what you're telling your hiring manager is, listen, instead of, like, I guess if you can't give me a full-time job, hire me as a contractor, like, or give me a job for, like, two months, like an internship, and then I'll prove to you the value that I can add and then that will make their decision a lot easier to make, right? And it's consistent with the other things that the roles that you mentioned with like sales and persistence. And even with engineering, learning to be an engineer, you're going to hit roadblocks that will might cause you to not want to keep trying, but you keep pushing through it. And keep pushing, keeping like that attitude is a key in any field of effort, in any endeavor. Like just saying, just refusing to fail at what you're supposed to do like is the key to any human endeavor and people recognize that and if you just internalize that or even if you just cheat and use this tactic that comes from that mindset it's a great approach yeah people recognize it as being very real yeah i love that and i think that's a great way to to go into the the first lightning round questions which is if you had to start all over again and you had a hundred dollars you're in a new city, one of these competitive markets what would you do Ooh, that that's a that money's pretty short huh (laughs) <laughs> that money is short. Uh, let me think about that for a second. <laughs> so let's assume okay. you do have a laptop and... Um, let's assume I have a laptop. First and, thing uh, I do you, is like... Maybe you don't need to like think about shelter, but like in terms of getting back to where you are today... So your listeners are actually going to need to uh, think about shelter and it turns out there's an easy solution that will get you through two or three weeks. And that is Couchsurfing. Couchsurfing.com. Check it out. That will get you through a couple weeks. You'll need to prep with a couple weeks of effort, but you'll mm-hmm. be able to get through a couple weeks of like crashing on people's couches. And that I think will get you through to like having something longer term, at least some odds of that. That was part of how I made my way into the Bay Area as well, although I had a lot more means than a hundred bucks. So next thing I do is I would, I mean, I kind of already covered this. I would go through like the list of YC companies or 500 startup companies or walk through any of the co-working spaces and just literally tap people on the shoulder and be like, what are you doing? How can I help? Yeah. So like that is, I think, the most direct path into breaking into tech in a new city. Yeah. Awesome. And so when you were going through any of the frustrating things that you were doing when like building Hack Reactor, because I know like it wasn't very easy to do in the beginning. Was there any like music or a movie that you watch or something that told you like, oh, man, like 
this isn't possible for us to create this big program. Did you listen to like, I don't know, Eminem one mic or something like that? <laughs> for me, it was my friends. It was working close with Mark and Tony and Doug and we crashed at the office a lot. And we, that was really what kept us going. And if I think about a musical experience, it was Doug playing in the guitar, which he did all the time. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So another question that we usually like to ask is um, for people who are just starting out on this journey, what is one piece of advice that you would want them to know before they um, begin? I think that willpower is a underappreciated character trait. I think that it is extremely valuable to, it turns out like when life tells you no, it is usually possible to find a way for it to become yes. And if you start thinking about it, start listening for no, and then develop a game that is like, aha, how does this become a yes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's something that I started doing in like my early adult years. And it's a habit that the Bay Area teaches you that's a part of culture here. And it's something that I highly recommend that you develop as an independent effort. Yeah. 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 And going through this process, and this is the last question, is like, what's something that you fundamentally believed before you started doing this that you've changed your mind on after this process? So I've changed my mind about, I feel like I underestimated human potential before starting Hack Reactor. I feel like I underestimated human potential. And I feel like I would have told you at the time that I believe that anyone can do anything, but I misunderstood how true that is. It turns out that like the barriers between where someone is now and where somebody could be a year from now are surprisingly thin and they're like flimsy. It's really just that we're kind of like there's darkness all around you and you don't know exactly which direction to head in. And that's the hard part. The hard part is to find a good direction to move in and to move steadily, to move steadily forward. But it turns out that the distances that you have to cover, they're not as great as you think. And your strength is greater than you than you understand. Wow. That's very meaningful. And I think our listeners will they'll really appreciate the advice that you shared throughout the podcast. I think the biggest takeaway is uh, just don't give up. Don't take no as an answer. And uh, even if you're trying to break into a sales role, like find a mentor, reach out to people, find out how you can add value. And that could be your first step through the door. On that note, what would you say is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? You mentioned Twitter. Are there any other resources or any ways they can get in touch with you? You can shoot me an email, shawn mm-hmm. at reactorcore.com. Wait, I'm going to close with one more tip which is reach out to random people that are like in the middle level of, of a particular role, like people who are kind of like just okay at sales or product mm-hmm. or dev because they never get inbound email. And they, they feel very special when they hear from you being like, hey, I noticed that you're a dev on such and such project. And I think that's cool. Can we meet up for coffee? I mm-hmm. want to talk to you about whatever. I mean, I think that's a great point, especially out here with all the happy hours and networking events. Like she treat everybody with respect, just like a janitor like could be treated the same way you treat the CEO. Because you never know people's stories. You know, you think you can learn from anybody. So I think that's true awesome. facts. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, for um, sure. It's such a pleasure to be on the show with you. Do you gentlemen. have Snapchat? No. no. Okay. Well, we'll get a <laughs> Snapchat and we'll get people to follow you on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> have thanks a good a lot, one. man. Bye. We hope that you learned a lot. If you can't afford the Hack Reactor tuition, make sure you apply for the new $1.3 million scholarship fund for a full ride. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, 
encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.